This is Until All Are Free. I'm your host, Preston Goff. On this episode, I'm excited to welcome James and Drew, who are two volunteer investigators with the Exodus Road. They share about their recent experiences in Pakistan, where they actually assisted another nonprofit in securing the release of two families that were ensnared in debt bondage. Although the tactics and the work that they share about aren't necessarily those of the Exodus Road, I do think that their experiences are helpful in illuminating the way that exploitation looks in this one particular region of our world. Hey, it is my pleasure to be sitting across from two individuals that I have with me in our Colorado Springs office today. Um, I've got James and Drew across from me. Both are members of our Delta Black team, which if you're not familiar with yet, our Delta team is our team of Western investigators that are trained to perform the work of undercover investigation and to assist our our national teams in the work of investigation that we do around the world. But it's a pleasure to have you gentlemen here. And I wonder if we could just take a minute to have you introduce yourselves to our audience. Well, I'm Drew. I'm the current director of our Delta volunteers, our Delta team. I've been a volunteer with Exodus Road as their Delta team member for about seven years now. I think I actually just hit seven years it might actually be today. I'd have to look. Yeah. I am now getting ready to start my 21st trip. So, yeah. And for, and for listeners who have been with us for a long time, Drew has is not a stranger to the podcast. We had Drew on in one of the earliest episodes. I believe it was actually episode number two. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So two. if you haven't had a chance to listen to Drew's story, I'd encourage you to go back there and hear my conversation with him. But yeah. How about you, James? Well, my name is James, and I've been with the Exodus Road now. I was actually on the very first vetting they had when they started what is known as Delta Team. And so it's a great honor to be down here and to sit in the same room with my friend and my partner that we've been on a a lot of deployments and missions together and talk about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely, which is a good segue for us, right? Let's jump in. You know, The reason why I've brought you together in conversation today is because you both recently were together on a deployment performing investigative work, performing intervention work in Pakistan. Now, for those that follow the Exodus Road, we are not actually involved as an organization in Pakistan, but because you gentlemen are both highly trained at this work of investigation, there are opportunities that are presented to you, right? And so I'd love to just hear from you about that, that process, what that looks like for you, and hear more about what the purpose for that trip was. Absolutely. You know, I mean, there's different types of human trafficking. There's obviously sex trafficking, there's organ trafficking, and then there's also labor trafficking. And so my son had become a good friend with a missionary over in Pakistan. And so I got to know him and had observed him for a couple of years. and. Some of the work he was doing was freeing labor slaves. Over there they have brick kilns, so brickyards, and the families, the poor families, often find themselves in need of money just to survive. And so traffickers will come along, give them a loan, and repayment is in the form of working in these brickyards. And they'll never get out. They have to make a thousand bricks per day by hand, and the whole family will do it. Kids 
all the way up to the parents and even grandparents, whatever, whatever it takes. And if they make a thousand bricks a day, they will get the payment of five dollars, the equivalent of five dollars U.S. Towards their original debt. Towards their debt, but you know, there's they still have a home, they still have food. I mean, they're just trying to survive. So in reality, it will never happen. Yeah. And so this missionary, one of his missions is to help free these families. So another organization I was with was aware of a pastor who had money that had been donated specifically to help free some families over there in Pakistan. But the contact they had, they had they lost that connection. Yeah. And so they made the connection with myself because of the work that we've been doing for so long. And I got to get introduced to that pastor. I never met him in person, yeah. but just chatted with him online and said, you know, if you want somebody to go and deliver that money and be sure that these families are freed, I will be more than happy to do that because I'm kind of the guy that likes to see firsthand what you're doing before I jump in and just say, let me give to you. you yeah, know? certainly. And to be honest with you, going to Pakistan, my wife was not, you know, real on board with that because, like, who goes to Pakistan? <laughs> and so I was like, well, would you be okay if, if Drew went? She said, well, if anybody was to go, I'd be much more at peace if Drew went. <laughs> and so I message called Drew and say, hey, would you be interested in coming to Pakistan? And he goes, well, why don't you tell him what you did? You know, there's not a lot of people, especially Westerners, in the world that does this type of intervention work that the Exodus Road does. And, and so the NGO world, nonprofit world, is just a small community um, of a lot of different people. And, and so they find out about people and, and what we do. And so in this particular case, you know, James was, was asked if he, by someone he had never met before if he could go over to Pakistan to, to deal <laughs> with looking at labor trafficking and rescuing some people who were victims of that. And, you know, it's something, you know, we both several times have been asked by other organizations to, to go over there because they just don't have people trained like our Delta yeah. team is. And so I was like, I'll tell you what, give me a day to see if we can't get some donors to support yep. support the trip, and, and I'll let you know. 24 hours later, had enough money to, to go on that trip. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Tell me, I mean, tell me a little bit more about what you know about the the scheme that's holding these people in poverty, right? Like, we we kind of danced around it. It sounds really, really straight, like straightforward debt bondage. But what does that, what does that look like as it impacts a, a family unit? You know, let me answer that question. And when you talk about the victims, especially in Pakistan, that we were able to identify as we got smart on, on the systems of, of exploitation, you end up having a lot of minority groups. And when something bad happens, when someone gets sick and they need to go to the hospital, they don't have the money to pay for it. And so, and particularly with the brick kilns, you know, they're, they offer loans. And, you know, there's no banks. You can't really just go somewhere and try to get a you know, loan to cover your medical costs or some social safety network. And so they go there and they get the money to take care of whatever issue that they need the money for. But they're now indentured in indentured servitude to that business owner of that brick kiln. And so 
he alluded to it earlier, you know, they have to make a thousand bricks a day and they, if they do, they get $5 a day. If they don't, they get penalized for it. So they're, and they're living on site. They're living the on site. As well. Oh yeah. And it's the controlled movement. And so you get your $5 a day, but you may get six or $7 that you get charged for that day. And additionally, most of these victims are illiterate because of the limitations in education that they've had. Yeah. So they don't even know what they're signing. Sure. Yeah. Can you take me into, you know, what it's like landing in Pakistan, beginning to get your bearings, how it differs even from, from being, you know, on site deployed in, in the countries that the Exodus Road operates in? You know, absolutely. I'm going to let James answer this because yeah. we're going to, he can tell you what happened before we even landed. Okay. Uh, some of the issues that we ran into. I'm nervous. We yeah. Go ahead, James. Well, I, I mean, the whole thing of, of going into a country of Pakistan as Americans, I mean, typically, you know, that nobody goes there. I mean, there's uh, up north, there's it's mountainous and there's some lakes and stuff, but where we were going was a different area. So there was a lo total unknown. We don't, we don't know what we are going to expect, except for the fact that we hope our missionaries are going to be there. I always have a plan B. Give me a phone number, somebody's <laughs> phone number, because I've, I've, I've done that before, flown in countries like nobody's here. <laughs> and so as we're flying over, I mean, first of all, it was hard just being sure, bringing everything up that we had to have in order to go. Yep. But we, we found it, we got on the plane, and we're heading in that direction. And so as we're flying in, it's, it's dark out, it's night out, and we're starting to roll in and, and getting ready to land. And all of a sudden, Drew, and of course I had seen it too, that our, our plane was being lasered. We'd seen that laser, you know, come into the plane a couple different times. And so finally we landed, and then we trying to figure out the airport and how to get in and where we needed to go to, you know, get our visa okay and passport checked. And we did, and then we come out, and of course, everyone we're seeing is just Pakistanis coming home sure. or leaving. Yeah. And then we finally found our group. And I mean, I and what, have... And what city is this, can you say? We flew into Lahore. I mean, okay. it's... Okay, yeah. yeah. But we were welcomed with flowers and... They just, they wanted to reassure us on how safe, <laughs> safe how it was yeah. for us and that we didn't need to worry and that they welcomed us and that... Like, hey, you need to get more, you know, Westerners to come visit. I mean, it was actually unbelievable. And yeah. going through immigration, they literally were just, hey, oh, you're going here? Hey, here's some things that can help you out. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Good, good. So, so talk to me about then what the, what, what your function and role in the operation was and what the, like, target objectives were. Absolutely. Being it is, was debt bondage, and the way to bring freedom to those was really to simply pay off the debt yeah. that the couple of families that you could free for that amount of money. And basically what was donated is $3,000, which pays the debt off of a family. It also gave that missionary funds to put them in another house, a better house, to find out what, what they wanted to do for work. So whether that was they wanted to be a taxi driver, open up a store, gave them money to buy that taxi, which is 
Wow. Over there, it's more like a bicycle yeah. taxi. Yeah, yeah. But sure. to buy that, give them what they need to start their new life. So that was really the, the, the primary was to go and see that these families were freed and that that money went exactly where it was supposed to go. Yeah. You know, just a follow up with what James said or caveat what James said. You know, our primary mission was to support this other nonprofit yeah. right. with and their methodology the and their yeah. 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 So, you know, that involved meeting with the brick kiln owner, yep. you know, paying off the debt and then you know, getting them to their new home so that, you know, they have a place to live while they go through their job training or job placement. We actually prior to it got to meet what was it, seventy nine survivors? Yes. Yeah. Seventy nine people who had been Remote already, already. Then yeah. repatriated, if you will, and and just to see the difference of photos of when they were rescued versus, I mean, they looked healthier, they were all happy, they treated us like we were rock stars because that yeah. we had come over there to help free more slaves. Yeah. You know, our secondary objective was to just come as it from, you know, while it wasn't an an the Exodus Road deployment. We really wanted to get an assessment of what exploitation was taking place and what the Exodus Road could do in the future, if anything, to try to tackle. When you're talking, I think it's 4.1 million modern-day slaves trapped in the brick kilns. Brick kilns alone. And so that, you know, our primary objective was to, to really just support the nonprofit who asked us to go with the secondary objective of just doing assessment of what type of exploitation was taking place in the brick kilns? You mentioned that you had a chance to, like, interface with the. Well, what would you call the the person who runs the kilns? Like, what term would you give there? Under international law, absolutely fits the definition of human trafficking. In fact, under Pakistani law, yeah. it fits the definition yeah. of human trafficking. So, it absolutely you know, was a trafficker. Yeah, you know, with the Exodus Road, we're always trying to do a systematic change. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so we normally try to gather evidence yep. to convict traffickers, you know, because we were doing this to support another nonprofit, yeah, you know, we were actually just buying their, their freedom and they were just very open with the illicit activity. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to ask is, right. you know, how did that change the dynamic, right? I mean, I think... We, we've talked about this often, and I'm sure you, you've processed through this a lot, but it's so tempting to just see see someone exploiting another person and just want the absolute worst for them and to, and to not see their own depravity. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could just describe for me what that interaction was like. Like, is this a, is this a wealthy businessman? He pulled in in a Mercedes, or you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, it wasn't too far well, off. <laughs> well, yeah, it wasn't a great Mercedes, but no, it was it, it was really business. Yeah, it was a table set up in the midst of the brickyard. The families that were going to be freed were standing along the side, watching and observing. And the trafficker came and sat at the table. I came and sat at the table so next it's transactional. to him. Just... And the money was given to me, and I handed the money to him. And then when it was all said and done, we shook hands and then went over and just pumped water so the families and the kids could wash their hands, wash their faces, get a drink of water, and begin the process of, okay, let's get out of here and let's start your new life. Wow. I mean, it was, we've seen some terrible things in the seven and eight years that we've been doing this. 
And this was really one of the hardest things I've ever seen. We pull up, it, it's like 115 degrees yeah. out. Yeah, it was I mean, hot. It was hot. And we're in this van that the air conditioning was not the greatest. And you know, I'm listening to one of the guys kind of complain about how hot it is. And as he's saying that, I mean, we're pulling up and this family's out there. And you're talking little kids who are out there making bricks. Yep, and seven years old. By hand, I, I couldn't, like, I don't know how to put it in words so that people could see the terribleness of it and how horrible it was to pull up and see that. And then we, you know, we go up and we talk to the families, you know, not at the same time, they're in different locations, but the mom and dad lost it and were just, they were weeping and, and holding on to us because they were just, they couldn't understand why someone would, would do that. The kids, they just look like confused, like what's going on? Like they had what no world beyond this exists? They don't know yeah, anything exactly. Different. All they know is that you get up every day and you make bricks. Make bricks. It, it was devastating. I've been with, with James on many, many trips, many, many missions, and we've seen some horrible things. And, and even when we get back and we talk through to kind of decompress what we've seen, I've, you know, I've seen them. We both weeped together before, but I've never seen him break down on a mission. And, and it like, man, it took everything I had not to just start, just break down bawling. Yeah. And, and Especially when you saw the kids. It was, yeah. Yeah. It, it was a very, it was something I've never experienced before. Yeah, you know, and, and, and again, to talk a little bit more about the brick making, I mean, they're not using a machine. Yeah. It is, yeah. mud that they Mixing really have to go out the hand. night before and prep it and then they go out early in the day before it gets real real hot or they try to anyway i don't know if that's possible and then it's all by hand down on their bare feet in the mud and just w one at a time you know mix it up put it in this metal thing slap it down and then it dries in the sun and then usually the kids will come along and flip them because yeah. they got to be flipped so they can dry on the other side and then somebody, once they're dry after several days, then those are picked up, moved on, and then you just keep on making more. Yep. Where are the, yeah. do, you, do you have a sense of where these bricks are going? It, like everything's bricked. Everywhere. Yeah, and not only there, but I think they're transported in some of the neighboring countries as, as well. So, okay. I mean, it, it is one of their big industries. Okay. So this isn't just like a small operation oh, no. export. Thousands, this is all over. Thousands of different brick kilns. And everything exists in the areas we're at, everything exists. So you had all your fields where they would grow, you know, the, the wheat or whatever they used to Just mix. Strengthen the bricks. Strengthen it. And so they had all these wheat fields. They'd har People would harvest that, and then they would take it over and mix it with the mud in the water that they would then use to put in the brick molds, which is just a little square metal thing yeah, and yep. put an indentation of the brick company yep. they'd flip it for you know three days it would sit out there to dry normally and they would flip the brick so it drew evenly and then they would take take those bricks to the kiln where they would cook them and then from there it would just be taken to market and everywhere you looked there was bricks and you could tell which brick kiln it was or who owned it based by you know the stamp that was on the mold put in the brick it was it's an industry. Man. <laughs> so tell me, I, I want to take you back to the moment of, you know, the transaction has happened. The families know. 
you're leaving that place together. Is is that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about that. What was that like? It's very different from sex trafficking rescues. Yeah, um, it's extraordinarily different. In that, you know, it's very traumatic. It's one of the reasons we have social workers go with us on raids when we can and immediately following raids they're taking the social workers if we don't have them with us is because it's so traumatic it's all they know their their world's being upended in this type of trafficking they they've been given freedom i mean it's what and they know it they just think the, the joy that they have again the kids had no they just couldn't understand they, they've never experienced freedom before it was a really awesome experience, very full of joy, which is something we don't get a lot of opportunities to have. But it was also just like, it really, I, I keep going back to the kids. That, that really affected me that they just, yeah, all they knew like, was. You can't imagine another world. Yeah. 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 Will you share with me, I mean, you've alluded to it several times, but just what challenges, what dangers do you encounter during this work? So, you know, one, one night we were going out, because we actually went to the brick kiln several times and some other locations as well. And so one particular, we ended up stuck in an anti-U.S. rally. They were, we were like, they were putting us down in the center on the floor. and You're one of like 10 Westerners in the country probably at the moment. <laughs> in the location in we were city, at, we probably were the probably only two. the only Westerners there. <laughs> Our friends that were over there, literally, they, they all started singing to try, because they were so terrified. They were just, that we were going to get... that Mobbed. That, get mobbed and get pulled out and, and killed. And, you know, the next day we ended up getting a new van that had curtains that yeah. they could shut for us, which ended up, I screwed that up. So the following day, we, we made it through okay without them seeing us inside the van, because... They all switched up places, so, you know, they were all shielding us with their bodies, and we were kind of laying down or, or leaned down on the floor in the center of the van. So the next day, they show up with a van with curtains, and uh, we're driving to another brick kiln to go view that, and we're, we're on the road, and some card kind of honked at us, and I open the curtain like an idiot and, and look out, and the driver looks over and sees you know, a white face, and it was like a, a switch got flipped, and he just turns his car towards us and rams right into the car and, and pushes us off the road. Yeah, and of course, our van driver isn't trained in, you know, vehicle interdiction maneuvering. and maneuvering and stops. And so this person, you know, he rams us off the road. We're, we're off the road. The cars are still kind of together. And the guy jumps out, and suddenly our security guy snapped out of it, and it, he, they bailed out of the van, and out. I don't think he was expecting a bunch of armed security guys to come out, which I was really glad we had them that day. But, yeah, th that was the first two incidents. So, and then the last night was Yeah, was and the last night, too. last night we had people that were going to come out to see us and meet us, and we're going to spend some time with them. In fact, when we had first rolled up to the place, I mean, the buses were there, and the people were starting to come, and the, and the whole area was cleared <laughs> That's up. That's a security very, nightmare. Specifically just for this. And so we're just waiting. We had a nice lunch, dinner, whatever, with the, the where we were at. And it was kind of in a enclosed area where they could, you know, cut it off and everything, so people weren't coming through. 
but our, you know, our guards or everybody were in there and they were kind of relaxing. And so literally about 15 minutes before we're supposed to go out, somebody comes in and whispers to the ears of, of one of them. And then the missionary friend came over and he called me dad and said, dad, you know, I'm sorry, but I just got a call from high up in Islamabad and we need to get you guys out of here as soon as possible and take you directly to the airport. They opened up the gate, the van was sitting there waiting and running. They literally pushed us into the van and as we drove off, it's dark out now, drove off in, in the night, you could see the, the spotlights on, you could see the buses there, the people getting out of the buses and we're barreling down the road, even with the lights off at times and just dust flying and you just couldn't help think that I mean, this is like a movie. <laughs> this is like a movie. And they took us straight to the airport many hours before we were supposed to leave. We we're supposed to fly in the morning. Well, the police actually, don't forget the police met us and escorted us for two hours up to Lahore. Yes, that's which, true. Yeah. So we had the blue lights flashing. Yeah, as, as we were going. And then, so we got there like two o'clock in the morning. And so we're, they wouldn't, we couldn't even go into the airport. We just had to stay right outside by the doors. And the missionary friend of mine, his dad was literally dying. I mean, we had seen him. We'd been by his deathbed, literally dying. We we're like, we are fine. Please just go and go. Meet, be yeah. with your dad. And they talked and it was like, no, we're, we're not leaving until you guys can go in. And then we found out that they did not, they refused to leave until they saw wheels up on the plane. My goodness. And, and his uh, father died. And his this, father literally died that. This man was amazing. Yeah. He literally spent the last week of his father's life with us. With and us. his father was like, no, I want him to be with you and not with me. It was yeah. an amazing testament to how the people of Pakistan are. Yeah, very it, much so. What ended up happening is someone in Islamabad, one of the government agencies, found out that apparently some people in the area, some militants had, had found out that we were going to be there. And of course, they don't like Americans, and so they decided that they were going to hit the location and kill us. And somehow, through their intel network, found out, contacted our people. And so they were actually moving in. We actually did see one group of people. I couldn't even tell you if those were them moving in or not. But they, it was just like you said, dirt roads, lights out, pitch black. We did find out that the people who had come to, to see us were actually able to escape as well. And so in the end, that nobody that died that night, which yeah. was, you know, I always like not dying. That's kind of a, a big deal for <laughs> me. It's a good tenant me. to live but by. It, yeah. You know, yeah. but it, it was also, we were pretty excited or happy that the people had come to see us had been able to escape as well. Yeah. So it's a pretty yeah, intense. there's no damage done, no yeah, churches burnt down situation or anything that like that. If we hadn't have gotten the heads up from someone in the Pakistani government, we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. Well, I want to thank you for doing this podcast, but also for having the, the continued courage to step into the darkness. You two are deep inspirations to me, the stories that you have to share, but also the the heart that you carry into this work is so palpable. I'll just say to the listeners that to have these two gentlemen be representatives of our investigators it should instill all the confidence in this organization for the work that we're doing. It's, it's just an honor to be with you guys.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Until All Are Free. Until All Are Free is a podcast by The Exodus Road, a nonprofit with a vision for a world in which humans are never bought, sold, or exploited. We disrupt the darkness of modern slavery by partnering with law enforcement to fight human trafficking crime, equipping communities to protect the vulnerable, and empowering survivors as they walk into freedom. You can learn more about our work and get involved by visiting theexodusroad.com. Once again, thanks for listening.